Welcome to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Usman. We've got a special episode with Brother Muhammad Faris, the founder of the Productive Muslim Company. And in this episode, we're diving into a lot of topics around the idea of faith-based professional development. But the big announcement I wanted to share was that he recently launched his new Baraka Academy, which is an online academy of sorts for faith-based professional development. And the academy includes a number of pre-recorded courses that you can go through. It's got an entire community of professionals that are active in their mastermind calls, the whole bit. And I'm actually going to be leading the book club that is under the Baraka Academy. And the way the book club is going to work is that every quarter we're going to have a theme and we're going to go through two or three books. And it's going to be a mix of just regular personal development books, as well as Islamic books. We'll be reading everything critically, going through additional resources, the whole bit. There's details in the episode. I've linked everything up in the show notes, so please make sure you go through the show notes. You can click through to sign up there. Hope you enjoy the episode. Assalamualaikum, everyone. I'm here with Muhammad Faris from the Productive Muslim Company. Welcome, Muhammad. Assalamualaikum. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Alhamdulillah. All right, so we are here. You're obviously the founder of Productive Muslim, or the Productive Muslim Company now. And we are meeting to talk about faith-based personal and professional development. Uh, For our audience, this is something that you and I have probably been discussing on and off for what feels like years now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Maybe quite literally. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I think we had elements of it you know, pop up, different ways of looking at it. And I think now you're finally crystallizing it into a more formal product offering and classes. So to kick things off, why don't you kind of let our listeners know what are insights along your journey that you've had that have gotten you to this point of going from productive Muslim in the sense of time management and, Mm. you know, Pomodoro timers and taking naps and all that stuff up to this point of this very interesting term of faith-based personal and professional development. Got it. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. So so it's funny because when I when I first thought of Prakmas, the whole idea was just trying to connect this idea of productivity with Islam. So initially, it was just trying to slap Islamic terminology to productivity stuff. Like, all right, this is how, you know, for example, wake up early. Oh, God, look, we have Fajr. You know, kind of like the yeah. basic kind of linkage is there. But it's so like they say, wake up at 5 a.m. and you're like, pray Hajjud. Exactly, right? <laughs> and then after a while, you realize, well, you know, okay, that's interesting, but but kind of what's what's the what's the what's the system that's that's out there and and how does our faith our spirituality not just complement but even challenges modern productivity sort of concepts for example you know there's if you look at the modern productivity concepts all about output results all about you know getting things done all about you know you know just basically it's metrics oriented metrics is about results but output and you know, Islam sometimes comes and in, in starts talking about things like, you know, look at Nuh alayhi salam. If you know, if you look at his life, you know, pretty much, and look at the results of his life. If you think about it, like his people don't survive. Only a few people, people few lived. And from a from a modern productive perspective, quote unquote, he would be, you know, Ma'ad Allah considered a failure because like he did not achieve the results he's looking for. It wouldn't look good on an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> or his CV or resume, right? Yeah, but. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He is a successful model. And it starts, he starts think, really starts challenges this, this modern sense of productivity, which really, really comes from the 1930s industrial revolution of factory based model productivity, about output results, how much widgets you can produce, to concepts that says things about impact, purpose, intention, niya, akhira uh, focused, you know, what it means in the long run, not being self centered. You know, and, 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 and sort of it challenges you. And I think this is where we're at at Perak Muslim. We started to really question a lot of the stuff that perhaps we've been touting for the past 10 years. And think, wait a second, you know, is is what we're talking about productivity, is this what really is productivity? Or is, is there a bigger thing we think about here about how do you manage yourself so that you can fulfill your purpose and role of being an Abdullah Sadaan? Yeah, I think it's a completely different worldview. Yeah. So if we if we take that example of Nuh alayhi salam, uh, from a modern worldview or an you know, American worldview, the 
productivity or output is the end goal. Mm -hmm. And so with that being the end goal, everything kind of rises and falls on that. But with the, as you mentioned, the Akira focus, it shifts the worldview completely in terms of what you value and where your focus should lie. Exactly. And, and to be honest, if you think of modern productivity, it's all about control, right? It's, if you think, I mean, look at the latest productivity hacks. It's how do you control your environment, your lights, your heartbeats, your, you know, <laughs> your calorie counts, your steps. Yeah, you're micromanaging. Micro- measuring everything, right? You know, everything about, it's all about this whole notion of controlling all the elements around for, us. And for people who are, are new to you or... <laughs> To me, we just officially put on the record that life hacks are horrible. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, they're gimmicky, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's gimmick. That's a good way of putting it. They get you. They get you. They help you get started, but they don't. You can't rely on them to actually achieve any lifelong change your life kind of thing. Right? So, learning how to fold your T-shirt in two seconds didn't change your life. <laughs> nope, not really. Or even having these like funny alarm clocks that you know it doesn't help help you wake up early, right? This, yeah, there's a whole thing that comes about wake up early. So, this idea. Of oh, I could I could teach a class <laughs> on how to circumvent alarm clocks. <laughs> so. And so this whole idea of control, right? And and one of the verses in the Quran that really sort of kind of smacks you in the face. A couple, a couple of verses in both Surah Al-Waqa. Once in the first one says, "Afraitum atumnun, antum tachlukum nahnu khaliqun." Right? Do you see? I mean, sorry for the language here, but do you see the 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 the, the semen the, the man produces? Right? Are you the one who created it, or are we the creator? And it puts you in the spot. You like something you think you control. You think you control. Allah puts you like really corners. You like you think you're in control. You have control over nothing. Nothing. Next one says, "Afraitum atahrutun." You know, do you see that that seed which you sow? Are you the one who makes it grow, or are we the grower? Like I put the seed. I worked hard. I plowed the land. I I went to work every day. Mm. I built my projects. I built a team. It was my ideas. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Is that you? Or is that?" And He kind of really puts you in this notion kind of accepting it's hard because we're used to being controlled and and especially in our society today it's like what do you mean I'm not in control right it's all about hard work the sweat I call it you know the carpenter mindset the gardener mindset the carpenter says I produce this tables chair this ladder because I put in I, I have an image in my mind and I work hard towards it right, gar- I had the vision I executed I oh, produced exactly and the gardener says well I put the seed in and I worked hard I still do the work but I have no I guarantee the results and I gotta live with that I can't control the rain. I can't control the rain. I can't control the pests. I can't. I mean, I can try some stuff, but there's only so much I can go in before the control is out beyond me. And imagine, imagine trying to go to work, right? Yeah. Imagine going to a corporate. I went. I talked to a CEO about this, and he's like, "Don't come to my company." <laughs> he's like, "What are you trying to do?" It's like I'm like, "Well, think about it. We we drive people nuts." on performance reviews, on you know getting results, on results-oriented frameworks, all this stuff. When some things are not in their hands, and well, they'll, and I'm not saying yeah, just let, let people off the loose and, and don't hold them. No, the, focus on the process, focus on the intentions, focus on the, the whole thing about what's the intention, what's the purpose, the impact, what are, what's your contribution, what's within your control, what's what's the gardening activities. Right. Even within our own company, when we did Muslim, only last year, we used to be very obsessed about numbers, like how many. Sales and corporate corporate courses and workshops. This yeah. year was the first year we implemented. We called gardening activities. All right, what are the activities that as product to Muslim company we got to do as part of us building our company? And we realized four activities. One is to attract people to our platform. Second one is to basically build trust. People trust us through our content, our you know our courses. And then third is enroll them into our programs. And fourth is impact. You know, making sure that it actually makes changes on the ground. So that's the gardening. So so I'm holding the team accountable on those activities. I'm not holding accountable more on how many people signed up and why we have so many refunds and what are all this. It's a complete. Honestly, there's a team. It felt much more stress, less stress, and you become more innovative and creative that way versus, oh my goodness, I got to make sure I hit the numbers this month kind of thing. Yeah, well, and part of that comes down to what people are incentivized to do mm-hmm. is, is what drives the action. And it's why you mentioned factory mindset. So at a previous company that I worked for, we went through Six Sigma, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, but Six Sigma is a something that, I think it was Toyota that came up with it, was in a process to eliminate errors. Mm-hmm. That on that factory line, can you reduce the number of errors and attain, you know, prime efficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I was in a role, in a, in a software role, where we were dealing with, you know, high-level clients, whatever. And there's obviously a very humanistic element to service relationships and providing support and people using the software that you've developed and so on. And 
when you try to roll Six Sigma out mm. on a service or a support type of model, it drives a certain type of results where people now are focused on how many issues did I resolve? How quickly did I resolve them? And whether the customer had a good experience mm. or not, or whether they like your software, or hate your software, you know, whatever, that all goes out the window because now you have to make that spreadsheet Exactly. Good. Exactly. How many tickets are closed? And, and exactly. And, this, and imagine, imagine you come to a company like that and say, "All right, you know, putting six sigma aside, with all respect to Toyota and all all the companies there, you know, what's your intention here as as in your role? You know, what what impact trying to reduce? And like, well, if I can make my customer happy, especially as high using high value clients, then that will save the company billions of dollars versus me closing tickets as soon as, as soon as possible. Yeah. So it's this whole approach. And I think the challenge for us, and this is where we're talking about the faith-based personal development corporate training, is how do you bring these concepts, things like Nia, things like Baraka, things like, you know, Akhira Focus, things like, you know, Gardner Mindset, how do you bring that into a modern workplace? So, so this is where I would say the challenges to me are quite obvious, right? So as someone that still works in a corporate environment full-time, uh, I can tell you, not that I agree with these advices necessarily, but I'll tell you things that I've heard mm-hmm. or that other people have said. You know, so one is that you have to turn your faith off when you come to work. Uh, business is business, so you can't have this religious aspect to it. That's one thing. Another is from a professional development point of view, how does someone actually apply in Akhir Mice? Like, how is. How is thinking about the Day of Judgment going to help me look good in front of my manager? Yeah. Right? So there's a little bit of a disconnect. How is religion supposed... You know, this... Yeah, I get there's basic values that I should work hard. I should yeah. do my work with Ehsan. Yep, yep. That's all the easy stuff. Everyone gets that. Yep. But how is it actually going to make me a better professional mm-hmm. such that people are saying like, Oh, what is this guy doing that I'm not doing? Yes. How do you, how do you, and it's and it's interesting because this is where the discussion is right now. For example, I'm I work with this group called Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, um, and they look about the idea of religious diversity in the workplace and trying to kind of promote you know you know companies to accept and be more open to 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 religion in the workplace for because and from their point of view is about bringing a whole self to work and you know so you don't feel left out and you kind of feel good about yourself. You don't feel like you have to hide to pray and stuff like that. And I always tell them, well, that's nice, right? The idea of religious accommodation to could be right. accommodate your religious needs. That's like a basic. Yeah. But beyond that is how do you harness the the mindset of somebody, the values, the stories, right? Because we all grew up with stories. The Quran is full of stories. How do you harness that to to help people, you know, become better leaders, become strategic thinkers, to become achieve talent, to do things with, you know, to harness you send them to like thousands of dollars. Of so let me let me give you a curveball. Please, please go. So I would I would venture to say that in some cases if a professional in a corporate environment mm-hmm. was to truly bring their whole self to work, mm-hmm. that it would harm them. In the sense, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll explain why I'm saying that it'll harm them. Mm-hmm. There, there are certain things that happen in a corporate environment mm-hmm. that are antithetical to religious values. Okay. So for example, let's take performance reviews. Mm-hmm. In a performance review, I need to hype up myself. Mm-hmm. Islamically, if if I do well on a project, my religious values would dictate to me that I should distribute the credit, that I should deflect praise off of myself. I shouldn't let my ego get inflated. Mm-hmm. That if someone compliments me, I say, no, no, I was actually the team, etc. You know, the good, quote-unquote, good leadership practices and all of that. But the problem is, is that then what am I getting recognized for? And then am I going to get overlooked for a promotion? Mm-hmm. And even more than that, just on a day-to-day basis... As a working professional, there, then there become things like, well, this person, this quote-unquote Muhammad is that nice religious guy, mm-hmm. but that means that he can't stand up and advocate on our behalf. Mm. Or he can't kind of fight the battle for us because he too readily says yes or acquiesces or becomes agreeable or he's too nice to say no. Got it. And those things are redeeming at a personal level. It makes people want to hang out with you and be friends with you. But in a corporate environment, it might be like that's not the right guy. Perfect, got it. And and for me, the the the, the challenge, the, the counter challenge that is would be, it's it's almost a misunderstanding of the whole value. Because let's take this example: Do I brag 
about my professional you know results or do I be humble and not talk about it because I'm trying to ego and honestly I look at the story of Yusuf alayhi salam and Yusuf alayhi salam I mean if you think about it he's in prison and two people come to me asking about their dreams and he starts off but hey, this is this is my credentials hey I, I will, I will, every food you get I'll tell you where it came from and who's going and what, what you before you even get it like he talks about his credentials like he didn't ask him but he talk, he kind of says hey listen I know my stuff and let me explain and then he explains his dream so right. he, he quote unquote professionally bragged because he knows his stuff and then when the king asks him you know about you know later on he tells him about you know uh, advice advice he says make me the treasure on the land like he he steps up he doesn't go oh I gotta be humble and wait for the king to come to me and says yeah, please would you no he says he steps up because I know how to handle this mm-hmm. so that's so sometimes we take these values we, we, we think they come from our faith we, we think they Islamically they come from our own like you know but you know have we misunderstood them have we misrepresented them yeah. have we, have we you know, is there is there nuances that we do not miss? Or we're missing some. Or oh, we're missing some, exactly. Because I think in this example, it's a virtue of having an appropriate level of self-confidence mm-hmm. that's not arrogance. Without your arrogance, I mean, look, okay. And, I, and I, think that, I think we assume that to not be arrogant means to be meek. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, how many times, I mean, we hear from the hadith where Prophet Sallam would someone ask someone to, to step up or something, and they would step up, right? And they're like, no, they, they didn't like sit there, okay, no, Prophet, you, you choose between us, I don't want my ego to get in the way. No, they would like step up. They're like, hey, you know, Akasha said, yeah, I want to become the first one. To, yeah. Like, they would just, they, this whole, and that's why sometimes, and this is where we got really careful. Yes, faith, sometimes. So sometimes it's really not understanding our religion properly. Yes. And not And not knowing how to apply it. And I think this is where the challenge is. And to be honest with you, it's 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 almost like an ongoing work and research that needs to happen, and and, and hoping that like our work is is a step in that direction. It is, and I think one of the big challenges has been, so one we don't understand our, what our religion actually says about these topics, mm-hmm. but I think two the problem is is that it's like you said the one of the things that happened early on is that we read things framed from a secular point of view, and just slap it on, and then slap the Islamic terminology, and, and we're all guilty of it, right? Like I did that <laughs> for a long time too. We knew this fourteen hundred years ago. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and so yeah, like oh wait, we have a hadith that says the same mm-hmm. thing. Woohoo! Look, exactly. You know, we want we want you and so we, we retrofit exactly. the religion into the secular frameworks. Exactly. And so then we miss a lot. And and honestly, it's it's, it's down to our I guess inferior to complex, right? We feel like we're inferior and we want to like yeah. prove ourselves so badly. It's like oh look, you know, we have this too. Versus, I think the question now is what do we add? Like yeah. how can we add? to the leadership research. You've done a lot of work in leadership yourself. Like just imagine taking the prophetic model and you're saying, well, what do you add? What do we add as, as a faith? I mean, well, the, the, the epiphany for me was, so I, I, I did the John Maxwell certification, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And for those not familiar with him, so John Maxwell is probably one of the leading experts on leadership. His book, 21 Laws of Leadership, is probably one of the most famous or best-selling leadership books for that, that genre, right? But the thing is that he himself is an evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. He learned the art of leadership by leading and building churches. Mm-hmm. And then he took those lessons and then propagated out that this is how you lead, this is how you influence, this is how you you know, do all of these things. And when that message resonated, people who were not of the same faith then come flocking, mm-hmm. right? And so people who are completely agnostic or atheist are still coming because there's valuable lessons here. People like me who are practicing Muslims are coming and saying, yes, you're whatever, but we actually identify with the Mm faith-based background maybe quite a bit more, and so we have an appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. But then my thing was, well, if we have the best example, why aren't all these people coming to us? (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest with you, two else. Why are we still going to them? Three (laughs) things. Number one, we are not spending time in research. Right, a lot of a lot of our work is still to surface level. We um, haven't we haven't developed the thoughts, the thoughts, the theories, the frameworks, the, and then tested the research. Number two, honestly, and that, and, by, and, that, and that was one thing that I noticed was like even if you take someone like Maxwell, mm-hmm. the body of work is just so huge, yes. right? And there's just so much value there that it's it's like it's impossible to overlook. Yes, exactly. And that's not, number two. We say one is the research. Two is actually published talk like. Imagine if you go to a, a, any self-help section right now, even a faith-based self-help, you see a lot of Christian-based or Buddhist-based self-help books, which are generally, we don't see many 
Muslim self-help, whether to Muslims or non-Muslims. There are some, but very yeah. few and far between. And it was almost like we need to do more thinking, do more research, and do more writing to at least start putting our voice there and say, hey, there's something we need to add. This the, Islam is the last divine message to mankind for crying out loud. Yeah. Like, there's a lot that needs to be added. Could be a lot of value in all these, especially the stuff which are human-based, like personal development, professional development, dealing with issues. Like, imagine like team dynamics, right? Imagine like decision-making, things like, you know, uh, grit, talk about grit early on, yeah. <laughs> sabr and grit, and in this whole mindfulness, gratefulness, like all oh, there's so many stuff out there that it's almost like we, we, we're trying to fit in we're trying to find our voices there's a lot of stuff that people are grasping at Versus that has a we have a solution for a grounding but a ground. people are you know exactly they're, they're reached like meditation yep. or whatever but and it's like well you know so what <laughs> I don't want to like lab, slap the Islamic label on it but it's like reframe and say like okay mm-hmm. you need to come at it with a different perspective yeah. I mean there's, I like the work of uh, Professor Malik Bedri he, he really like he puts meditation in perspective meditation is just like the side benefit the, the bigger goal is contemplation who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is right yeah. and, and so, so yes you can get into meditative state and yeah, it's like a nice little. It's almost like getting. It's almost like getting in, you know endorphins when you exercise. You feel like oh, I feel great after I work out. But that's not the purpose of the workout. It's just to feel great. Is there's a bigger, longer health general. So the idea, the same thing with meditation or and all this concept where there is a higher purpose and this higher purpose of, of really remembering that you are a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your life needs to be built from that perspective whether you're a leader whether you're a professional whether you are a mother whether you are you know the, every role you play in life is how does that fit with me being a abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then building frameworks based on that concept and I think this is where the value can be can be very powerful so, so one of these frameworks to build out and it's something that i know you've written about i wrote something about it some uh not similar you know my take which is this idea of the baraka culture and hustle culture yeah and i think this is maybe a good place to go a little bit deeper because it lays out you know if you look online there's online is literally the hustle culture the hashtag rise and grind and you know no breaks this is the gary vaynerchuk like just all out all the time and it's you know there's an appeal to it for a certain type of person like if you're lazy then it's a good you know swift kick in the butt to like do something Mm -hmm. but talk about the worldview between the two because you know that that swift kick in the butt only goes so far and you can only tell someone like keep hustling keep (laughs) hustling and it's just like shut up (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean this idea so this thought came when we were looking at okay when you look at the model success, right? Who, what do you consider model success for people? And a lot of times, it's those who hustle, right? If you hustle, 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 then you are successful. That's kind of the message you get in the world. But then the question is, what's the alternative? You know, because you can't. If I, if I say, well, you know, don't hustle, then what does that mean? What's the alternative? So, we proposed a, a framework. So, well, what if we approach life from a brief perspective, from a baraka perspective? It's not about the hustle, but it's about doing things with the right mindsets, values, and rituals that help you get baraka. For example, I can wake up four o'clock in the morning and we'll go to the gym, work hard, have my plan for the day, have my protein-based breakfast, you know, do some like next level high, you know, call my assistant at 6 a.m. and put my tasks down. And Drink then, a glass of oat milk. Oat milk, <laughs> you know, coffee, bulletproof coffee. Oh, and just, like, you just go all out, that's right? A, <laughs> I refuse to put butter in my coffee. The dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> now, and then someone says, instead, I'll wake up, Pray Fajr, read some Quran, do Adhkar, which from a hustle culture perspective, like that's insane. So that's a quote unquote a waste of time. Okay, maybe you can meditate for like five minutes using an app, but yeah. what if you're spending an hour, two hours, like reading Fajr, doing Quran, doing Adhkar, like who are, what sort of, you know, what sort of person you are? And then spending time with your family. Oh my God, spending time with your family? Like, come on, hustle culture is no time. No, for you got to answer emails. <laughs> you got to answer emails, five in a.m. And it's like, wait a second. So it's ideal. And, but still, the fact you do this, is my you you start your day with Fajr Quran and Adhkar? There's the rituals. You have the mindset of, of you know you know having the trust to Allah Subhanahu mean You put in your you put your hard work, but you trust the outcomes of Allah Subhanahu Taala not from you. You are less egocentric and more impact driven and having the think about your intention. What are my intentions for today versus what are my results and my you know my tasks for the day kind of thing. That sort of shift, honestly, it's like it's 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 a stress-free way of getting through life and achieving results beyond expectations. Yeah. Give me an example. Think about you know if you you're in a book business, right? You understand books. 
the average life of a book is three years. That's what they normally say, right? Yeah. And even these, these things are going on New York bestsellers, you know, it's very, we, we, you know, we, we talk about like some of the books we read, like, like how could this be a New York bestseller? Like, I don't know how they got there, but they- No, because they had money and they PR, bought their exactly. place on the list. Boom. But then- And if th- that's, people wanted this, that's actually a thing. Yeah. And now, <laughs> but then fast forward that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, will those books be relevant again? Versus, imagine books. no. Some of the books that I pre-order, yeah, stop being relevant about an hour <laughs> after they arrive. It's so frustrating because the, it gets hyped up, and I've been following. So I'm like, man, this will be really good. And I get the book, and like, Eesh. one of them was a. Uh, I don't want to bash books. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's there. But then the other side, imagine we reread books today, which are written a thousand years ago, seven hundred years ago. Like the funny, I'm writing. I'm reading a book about Baraka written 700 years ago by a Yemeni scholar. Like, what sort of that's impact that your work continues 700? Imagine, can you imagine your yeah. book lasting 700 years from now and someone reading and benefiting? And I'd sharing? like to imagine <laughs> writing a book to begin with, but <laughs> but that that this is where imagine living life with a Baraka mindset. It's not about. This is one thing when I went to Southeast Asia. In Singapore, and I gave this workshop Baraka. One of the things that really struck me is that people Baraka is not about you. It's actually about your, your almost you passing on. It's not about your legacy. It's also called about my legacy, right? How yeah. can I build my own legacy? Baraka is not about your legacy. It's about Allah kind of protecting your your legacy by you know not for your own will, but by His like mercy and His like you know His acceptance of your work, the work you're doing. Yeah. So imagine going through life saying, "Oh, I accept, really, you all accept this." I don't know sure how far this would go. You're you're taking your ego out. You're doing this for Allah. You're being very you know the worldview said is very akhir focused, God conscious, and then Allah is taking that and then like a garden, right? He makes it. He grows fruits from it that you don't even imagine you know how many years ago how many years from now so how do you apply so what would be the application of this for the person that comes to you and says okay that's cool i wake up for fajr i read my quran mm-hmm. but then i get to work and i'm behind on my deadlines mm-hmm. i have 300 unread email messages mm-hmm. I have four hours of back-to-back meetings. Mm-hmm. My manager's breathing down my neck. Mm-hmm. I have a major deliverable coming up in a week. I can barely keep my head above water. Yep. Uh, so, I, explain to me again yeah. how this baraka yeah, yeah. thing is supposed to work and manage my day and make like <laughs> I don't have a productivity yeah. problem. Yes. I'm super productive. Yes. I'm going end to end. I eat at my desk. I barely get up to like drink water. I'm nonstop. Yeah. But I'm still not making headway. Yeah. I'm not accomplishing it. You know, I'm not making the accomplishments that I want, but I'm in survival mode and doing what I can to like get as much as I can done at work. But it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Yeah. This this is where it's it's interesting. So it's almost like how you how you tackle that battle, right? Just because you're going through, you have Baraka call does not mean you, mashallah, like you live in Nirvana and you can sort of, you know, kind of float through work and like... You can visualize you know, your way to success. Exactly. You know, you can ninja all your tasks and emails, right? That's not the concept, but it's... Put how them on a vision board. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's how you're approaching work, how you're thinking about that work. It's not consuming you. It's not driving... You still achieve, you still accomplish, still move forward, but it's not becomes this almost like... It's almost like feel like a life or death situation for you. Like, oh my god! Like, I, if I don't get these three hundred emails off my desk, for example, I, I had a friend of mine. He's going hedge. He's like, oh my god! I, I gotta get my emails down to zero. I'm like, why? Like, what does it matter? To get They're emails? gonna be back up to six hundred <laughs> when you get back. back. But it's like hustle culture. I gotta take it off my to do list. Otherwise, I feel unaccomplished. And and I'm like, well, what what mindset drives you to that, to oh, that level? Right? Can I can I share a uh, can I share a productivity life hack with you? Go for it. <laughs> I feel great about sharing a productivity life hack with you. But, uh, so my strategy for inbox zero now is to ignore my email. Classic. That's, that's the, best, the best life hack I've ever come up with. Actually, no, I'll tell you the, the real hack was that Gmail is blocked for me at work. Yeah. So I can only check in on my phone or when I get home. Nice. And I just don't care that much anymore. There we go. Moving it forward. So, so that, that, that is, so again, and this is where this idea that, that, that kind of helped me with even this whole notion of, how he approaches it says man asbaha wa hamhu dunya right whoever wakes up and his ham his main concern is this dunya right mm. then it's almost like shaddat allah ya amr allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disperse matters for him right you get like you get you get, you get looking right and left you're also just overwhelmed 
And then, and then, and then you just get to go stressed and you're all, all the place. And then the, the, the other side of the hadith is whoever wakes up and his hum, his main concern is akhirah, Allah will gather matters for him, right? And there's an element yeah. of that that can, can I tell you like an amazing yeah. story. So I had this situation uh, one time at work where I had that type of a manager who was creating the hum, like the anxiety, mm. like so much so that I couldn't function even on the weekend because even once Friday came, all I could think about was like getting chewed out on Monday because I've missed, you know, I messed up something or was behind on something, even though like I've been, I, everything in my control, I was doing to the best that I could, but it still wasn't enough. Right. Yep. So the whole weekend I couldn't function. I couldn't play with the kids. I couldn't think about anything. And it was exactly like you're saying, like you're, you're, worry then becomes the dunya and the job and it becomes the end all be all and i was reaching like that breaking point of like like i'm like do i just need to quit like that became the the thought process now i was like okay if i quit how long could i go without finding Mm. another job like that's where the mind went right and then the the hilarious thing is that at the peak of like the difficulty of this i walked into work one day and there was a flash meeting Mm. And anyone in corporate environment, flash meeting is never good, <laughs> right? Flash meetings are only, they're never for good news. A flash meeting where it's like drop everything, get on the phone for like 20 minutes means people are getting laid off, yeah. <laughs> right? So you have a flash meeting, I'm just like, oh crap. Yeah. Okay, here we go. And all of a sudden on, on this flash meeting, they announced a restructuring. Wow. And it turned out that the guy that had been making my life like super miserable for the past month was leaving the company and I was being reassigned to somebody else. Wow. And it was just like all of a sudden this huge burden right. had been lifted off my shoulders. Mm. And so I you know, I went and I told my parents and then my mom told me, she goes, Yeah, I've been making dua all week that Allah gets this guy off your back. She goes, I didn't think that he would just leave the whole company altogether. <laughs> there you go. And so think about this this now here's a question for you. If you if you knew this was gonna happen Oh, I would have been, my stress level would have been like 10% of what it was in that time. 10, a week ago, right? Over yeah. the weekend. Like imagine if you knew. I would have enjoyed the weekend at least. <laughs> but if you knew, if Allah gave you the Ayn al you knew he's leaving, right? And this is where sometimes, this, this is where spirituality and faith in the workplace, we face every day. We, we're trying to rationalize, we're trying to secularize our workplace, trying to rationalize things. And, oh, no, but, it, but I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying, you no, know, not strategize how you're going to deal with your yeah. ma- manager. But... Again, some things that it's, it's, it's recognizing who's in control and not letting the corporate world and training is just is completely consumed to the point where, like I said, just the, the hustle culture just drives you nuts. We had this, we had this, um, this lady, um, she was she came to our retreat in Indonesia, she said, For the first time in my life, I wake up, I pray for exercise, have breakfast, and not check my phone for four hours. She goes, I usually I can wake up 5 a.m. for a conference call. I cannot wake up 5 a.m. for Fajr prayer. And wow. She, and she goes, and, and that's when I realized, wow, like, is this, this has become such an obsession for me that, and the other, and the other side of my life is not that. Man, that, that hurts. I've, <laughs> I've gotten up for the 5 a.m. conference call with India. <laughs> 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 I mean, we've, we've, it's consumed us, and I think that's where the ch- and so having at the same time, one thing that I and that I'm really interested in nowadays is the stories of people who follow Baraka culture and seeing not just success from a material perspective, but just genuine impact beyond expectation from what they're doing, from what they work. And this is where, you know, it's it's, it's kind of I'm trying to. I'm still the city correcting the stories. But I feel like this is where we not want to see role models because someone's well. That's not how so and so get to the C suite, but maybe there is. There is a role, but we just haven't heard the stories. Well, you know, the other thing, religiously speaking, and this is something that I've kind of learned the hard way, mm-hmm. was again we assume that religion means that you kind of lay back, that you take the take the punches, and you don't. Mm-hmm. And I've had situations where I didn't stand up for myself, right? Because I'm like, oh, you know, I shouldn't shouldn't talk back I shouldn't be problematic I shouldn't be this and so you tell yourself all these things but then you kind of learn the hard way that actually I should have stood up for myself mm-hmm. I should have said something that doesn't mean that I have to be a jerk yeah. I didn't have to like curse the other person out but there is a religious value in having confidence and kind of 
defending your right, so to speak. Yeah. The, the, the example, you know, the arrogance in front of the arrogant is worship. <laughs> this is the, yeah. This is a powerful kind of hadith was saying about Shabbos, the arrogance, the kabbal, worship, the kabbal, ibadah. Like, it's literally because sometimes they, you just need to, like, shake them. Like, hey, listen, if you yeah. can be, I'm getting arrogant as you are, but I'm trying to bring you down. And and, and again, it's, it's, it's having that grounding. That's why things like the rituals we do, right? The salah and the fasting and the, and the sadaqah, these things ground you. These are things that are kind of like these, these are called keystone habits that, yeah. you know, they kind of hold you down and then the mindset's like the operating system, right? It's not like how do you operate, how do you think about the how world? And then the values are like the applications, like the value of honesty, the value of justice, the value of, you know, so and so, which you can access as you go through work. Just imagine how powerful it is to be able to pack that inside a professional. So and really power them through the corporate. This reminds me of one. Uh, we talked about this when we did the level up class yeah. way back when. But one one piece of feedback that we had gotten from people with what do you struggle with as a Muslim professional mm-hmm. was like I'm afraid to speak up in meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's a microcosm. Most when it comes to faith, like professional development, I think most people aren't concerned with hard skills, right? Like everyone's good at their engineering or their coding or their accounting or you know whatever their skill is. Most people got that in the bag. It's all the other stuff where I think the religion plays the biggest role. So things like I'm afraid to speak up in a meeting. Yeah. Why? Because well, what if I get shot down? Then something negative is going to happen. Right? There's maybe an element of the wakul in the sense of. Mm. You think that your boss controls your sustenance, but they don't, mm-hmm. right? So have the confidence to speak up. Mm-hmm. Another is, well, if I speak up and share this idea, someone's going to take it and steal the credit for it. <laughs> and then they're going to run with it. They're going to have a successful career and I'm going to be <laughs> suffering and miserable. I'm going to be like the the dude that got cut out of Facebook or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I think at the... The religious grounding is very important for knowing how to navigate those situations. And I think like a, a baraka mindset is knowing that, okay, so you know what? Even if even if you stole my good idea, why is that the only one? Yes. I don't have the ability to come up with like a dozen more. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and that's the thing with religious knowledge is always being conscious and careful because. Like I said, I think I think the way we've been taught religion sometimes comes in this almost like a compartmentalized that we, we okay, this is Islam, it's in the masjid, this is how we do it, this is how we think, this is how we approach life. And then you enter workplace like, well, and there's many professional companies say, I don't see relevance of my spiritual, what do you talk? Like when I, I love the first day of a corporate, when I do, if I do corporate training, especially in Singapore, Malaysia, that first day that everyone looks at me as if I came from Mars, like, is this guy really talking about religion in, in the office? Like, is yeah. this is real? And this is sometimes in, in a Muslim majority country, in almost all the staff are Muslim, but this fine, like, really, this guy is going to talk about this? But by the second, third day, like, everyone relaxes and everyone mm. starts sharing, like, oh, yeah, I have this, this, and this, that, and this product. So I think we have it in us. It's just so what, what's, the, what's the turning point? What, what in, in those workshops is the thing that kind of flips that switch for them where they're like, oh, this is taboo to, oh, we need to embrace this. When when we talk about, I think the butter culture is hustle culture, it, it, it dawns upon them. They're like, when we talk about, when we start measuring your performance across your roles, you might be a great performer at work, but how is your performance across your other roles? And what does it mean for you to make choices between performing at work versus being a family person versus being, you know, a like being a worse, like how do you, how do you have a well-rounded, meaningful life that when you go to the last day, you know, in your deathbed, you don't regret, right? There's this whole, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it's sometimes like, they're like, I never thought about it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's one thing, right? Like the dirty secret to professional development is you can be amazing at work and at business if you're willing to sacrifice family and everything else, you can do awesome. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> much, pretty much, you and, and and the thing, and the question is, again, it's popular. and not that you can't be awesome without you can maintain all. And I, I think the challenge is, yes. how do you be awesome in all of them? All, no, it's not again. It's back to being trying to be in control. It's not you being awesome. All of them. Mm. It's you saying, you know, what's the for example the way I look at? It, I don't like to talk about work-life balance. Talk about fulfilling the hukuk. Right? As long as I fulfill the haq of my work, the haq of my family, the haq of my rabb, the 
haqq of myself, the haqq of my body, haqq of my children. Beyond that is ihsan, if I do above that. And less than that, I'll be held accountable. So it's not work-life balance where, okay, eight hours of work, eight hours of... No, it's more saying, am I fulfilling the rights of people? Because those that's what I'll be held accountable for. Yeah. The rights, right? So again, there's an approach, even something like that, is you can be, maybe, maybe not so, be awesome. So let, let me give you a, a question. So yeah. here, here's a discussion that I had with some friends mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago. Because Ramadan is in the summertime and it's hard. Yeah. Right? Texas, we got long days, it's hot, the whole the whole bit, wine, 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 yes. <laughs> Woe is us. Okay. Yep. Fine. Shawal comes and so well let me let me let me pause. Mm-hmm. In Ramadan, the guys that that I talked to regularly were all kind of in the same thing of we're doing the best we can at work. Yeah. Yes, we're not performing at peak optimal level. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think everyone in some respect made a conscious decision that they were going to have to sacrifice some level of their performance performance in Ramadan in order to meet the obligations at work. Right? So for me to yes, I could pray I could pray eight rakat or twenty or you know, whatever you I could pray however many rakat your masjid does every night. But it would mean that I would sleep in. Mm-hmm. It would mean that I would be groggy when I got to work. And it would mean that I would not be fulfilling the basic duties at the work. Of work. Whereas I could meet my obligations, say, of praying Isha, mm-hmm. maybe having to forego some of the voluntary yet virtuous stuff yeah. in order that when I get to work in the morning at 7 or 8 or 9, that I am alert and ready to go. And yes, I might not be super optimal, yeah. but no one's worried about me dropping the ball on anything. <laughs> And now, but that's not my question. That's the setup to my question. Fair which was then when Shawal came, mm. then the discussion was do we do the six fasts of Shawal if it's going to f- cause a sacrifice <laughs> in work performance? Yeah. Because Ramadan was already tough. Now tacking on six more. And I know people that said straight up, like, I'm not doing the six fasts of Shawal because I'm not going to be able to survive at work. Mm-hmm. And at first, it makes you cringe. It sounds like that really immature college student who's like, "I have an exam. I can't fast." It's like, "Oh, shut up and fast. Like, get over it, right?" Like, yeah. but this is a very real struggle because yeah. the stakes are much higher, and this is not as simplistic as obligatory fasting. Right now, we're talking about balancing what's virtuous and what's obligated on. Yeah. I mean, the way when we think we were talking about earlier on is sometimes we want to have this one size fits all, right? Everyone should fast six days of Shabbat. Everyone should do twenty rakats, and it's not. And else for that is I'll see I'll see what's your your station, what's your journey towards all that. How someone said I'm not at the stage where I feel like I'm able to fast six days of Shabbat. Spiritually, I'm not ready. I'll be probably be even cranky and be like almost quote unquote upset that yeah. I have I have to do the six days kind of thing. Versus, I you know I'll fast maybe once a week for the next you know for the rest of my year for example and I feel like yeah I'll, I can stick to once once a week and not feel impacting so that's one approach is where you are in that journey towards towards mm-hmm. your spirituality in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala second thing is is in this way baraka mindset comes in because sometimes what I when we talk about baraka cultures is a lot of the things that give but give you baraka require some kind of sacrifice for example that the classic one is giving up some you know money for charity right and there's a return right? there's, there's a return yeah. on baraka kind of thing and you having that yaqeen, that certainty that I'm fasting, yes, I might feel groggy and tired, but it's almost like, I mean, you have this, I don't know if, I don't know if you have this, Ramadan, like, I'm groggy, I'm not at my best performance, again, I'm not in control, my performance is terrible, but things are getting done, things are moving forward. Things are easier. Things are easier, like... Timelines are getting extended. Something's moving. Meetings are getting cancelled. Exactly. It's like, oh, I can go nap in my car. <laughs> Seriously. So there's, there's something that's beyond you. And, and again, we just don't make that linkage. Well, as much as, as, much as we, because again, we can't, we can't, we don't know how the divine works, but it's, it's there. And I think we need to somehow, I remember once I had a, this in my career, I worked in a corporate, in a bank, and had this big presentation in front of the president and vice presidents and you know it was a big presentation where I was talking you know I'm basically sharing the bad I was, I was the messenger who was kind of sharing the bad news basically and I remember that day I said I'll, I'll fast I said I'll just I'll fast that day with that understanding that I want like this fasting to, to like be like almost like quote unquote protection right now call superstition call whatever but honestly speaking even though the meeting was disastrous meaning 
the vice president was shouting at me right this was like <laughs> i thought i'm getting fired today I'm, i was literally on my desk waiting to pack my bags and go but, i will die in the state of fasting exactly exactly <laughs> i'm a shaheed right but i left that you know a few years later you know those vice presidents left that's funny thing when i go now i'm actually called back you know and to to work with that same company i used to work for people still remember that meeting it's, it's, it's left a lasting till today they're like oh you're the guy who, did, who said this like who cannot believe it and it's helped me my reputation in the long run versus mm-hmm. you know and I'm like could I have, did I plan that there's no way you can plan it right did I think about it no you just it's like, so sometimes there's an like element new of strategy at work exactly. take off the vice president <laughs> or fast when you want to take off the yeah. vice president right? <laughs> right so I think so there's two but one is where you are on a journey the second one is how you is really having that yaqeen that these rituals, there is a, I call it return of barakah that you do not foresee. But it's not it's not about testing stuff, or testing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or trying to, oh, let me try this and see what, how, what happens. Yeah. No, no, you gotta have a full conviction that there's good that'll come out of this beyond what, I cannot see the result, but there's good that'll come out of this. And this is where the challenge is. I think, and one thing, at least for me, in terms of, you know, the faith-based professional development, et cetera, is, I think stress management is an under underrated problem, yeah. uh, but also a benefit in a sense of the stronger your iman becomes, like the stronger your faith becomes, the easier it is not to let work stuff rattle you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you don't... And I, I think there's like a, you know, you have... You can't take work too seriously in the sense that it consumes you but you have to still take your work seriously that's awesome that's, that's, it's a that's very, a quotable that's a know, quotable right there we should put that as a tagline of this podcast you know you, you yeah. can't slack you can't be lazy you yeah. have to take your work very seriously yeah. but you can't let the whole thing become so serious that it Consume. it cripples you excuse you and and, and, and and like I said it's just because you adopt this mindset does not mean you're not going to have stress does not mean you're not going to have bad bosses it does not mean things will be amazing smooth for you no you will face you, know, you have better tools to deal tools. with yeah. those problems that come and, and and as they hit you right as they hit you almost you feel like you're building capacity that's why sometimes I, you know I think about the Prophet and how he used to pray Tahajjud at night right and I felt like that was his me time him getting up pray Tahajjud because he was demanding the problems he was dealing with people I mean just to deal with 100,000 people and all the issues and I was like can you just imagine trying to handle him getting up for Tahajjud was his way to like build his capacity spiritual capacity to deal with this and I think as professionals like we need to think about like you know we deal with a lot of stuff to come out between home work family you know getting up you know the prayers they help us build a spiritual capacity to handle to kind of be buffer against all this life you know the faith i mean it becomes it's an indispensable Absolutely. part of building it's, your it's not it's not it's not an optional i also it's not optional anymore and i don't see it as an, as an extracurricular activity oh yeah when i have time i do this i'm like and, the, and, the, and i think this goes back to why it can't be compartmentalized yeah. it's not that you turn off faith you go to work you be a worker an employee and then check out go home eat dinner now go to the mushroom and be religious yes you know. exactly it's seeing it's seeing the the power of your faith to help you live this life of of meaning of impact of barakah and seeing the goodness and almost like beyond your work way beyond you know your own children your own family it's it's honestly it's a much more fulfilling way of living you know that's so hoping that that's the message that we get from this and you know i think that always fascinates me uh when we look at the life of the Prophet when as you know as a leader, as the role model, we always get this idea of, like his akhlaq was the pinnacle of good character. He was sent to perfect good character, you know, so on and so on. And we hear it so often that we almost start thinking like, okay, so this means saying please and thank you or, you know, doing this. It's kinda of like no, that's just basic decency. Yeah. I think the thing that I find most fascinating is when stakes were high. Mm. Right when it's Treaty of Hudaybiyah, mm-hmm. when it's the story of the Sahabi like Hatib ibn Abi Baltar, that he sent a letter to the Quraysh tipping them off that the Muslim army is coming. Yeah. And now he's brought in front of the Prophet and, and other Sahabis are getting upset. Mm-hmm. Kameh is like, we need to execute him. You know, he's done this, done that. And, and they're 100% correct. 
like they're correct that he gave up state secrets he's you know whatever like this has happened and even in the high alert situations Mm. he maintains wow yeah the that integrity that integrity the empathy the you almost say being professional being respectful not letting his anger overtake him in a way that he acts out of it like irrationally or something like that right which we could very easily succumb to but i think the most fascinating thing for me is that in the it's not that he didn't deal with stress obviously but it was that in the high stress environments Mm. he still functioned with that perfection of character that's that that is that is profound and and for me personally when when we deal with productivity when we did the um, the daily routine of the Prophet we tried to analyze well, what is, how does routine look like and we did an, an infographic article and I'm looking at that routine I mean honestly I mean this is the most influential man in history this is the most successful man in history this is one who had impact all today like you you know it is not hustle culture I'll say that for yeah. now, right and it's mind boggling at the same time the thing that just I, you never hear any single Sahabi or his wives or his children or his grandchildren complain Ya Rasulullah you're not giving us enough time no it was the opposite is everyone felt that he was their best friend his best friend and I mean imagine like take it to your own life right to our life like you come home like oh you know you don't feel like you're spending enough time with your children because when you're at home you think about work when you're at work you think about home and when you're children you think about your phones and it's like the fact is you know even though, despite all the people he never he was present he was there he was he was he was, you know, he was not driven by his death by calendar or driven by his watch yeah. where, you know, he would be walking in Medina trying to do something and a, and a little girl will come and tug his, his shirt and say, yeah, so I'll come with Norsh or something. And he would go with her and then he'll come back and they're like, he's, he, he, the guy's trying to save humanity. <laughs> he, doesn't have, he doesn't have time for this. But look at him. I think, you know, I think part of this is that the faith is necessary to give you a bigger picture. And I don't just mean like your vision and all that, but I mean like an actual bigger picture. Because, you know, being micromanaged by your calendar Mm -hmm. or by, you know, this and that. Like, you see, we're sitting in my office right now, but I have a wall calendar that literally just has the whole year on it. Mm -hmm. That's my productivity tool. I schedule by the week and the month. That's I can't do hour by hour or day by day. It's too much. Yeah. Um, And what happens, here's a question, what happens if things don't go as planned? Is a dry erase calendar. I just erase it and write it somewhere else. <laughs> and being comfortable with that. Yeah. Being comfortable with that. It's almost like and this idea where... But, but the, the thing is, is that if I was drowning in the details of each... Like, because if I'm micromanaging every minute of every day, every hour of every day, every bite that I eat, every sip of... You know, you can endlessly track everything. everything. But I think being that quote-unquote productive... When you miss the bigger picture, you lose all of it. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'm guilty of this. I'm, I'm, I'm the one. And you're wearing a Fitbit right exactly. now. Exactly. I'm wearing a Fitbit. <laughs> I have my, you know, every Sunday evening, I sit down, I plan my count, my week count it hour by hour, right? But what I've learned is when things don't go my way, I'm comfortable with that. In fact, one of the managers I met in Dubai, he runs the Dubai Slime Bank, amazing guy. He's a manager at Dubai Slime Bank. He says he prays his tikhara five times a day. I'm like, say what? Like, he prays for like five times. Like, how? Because my first tikhara is asking Allah, you know, for my, the plan of the day. Because I have a plan for the day, I pray tikhara on my plan for the day. My second tikhara is around 10 11 on any major issues that I have to go deal with that day. My third tikhara is for things that I do with my family. My fourth tikhara is my plan for the next day. My fifth tikhara is like, and fifth tikhara is like, I think it's like oh, something like again something that's a bigger goal he has trying to move towards and he goes every, I'm like every day like every day and I'm like and what and what have you found it's like it's like it's amazing like I just I'm not as attached to my he's at peace with whatever happens exactly it's still plans he's a planner right? yeah you still plan you still work you still but he's not attached he doesn't have this this regret that comes with oh I should have done it oh and I think wow like that that's a mindset and again so again that's 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 baraka culture right there that's baraka culture imagine trying to explain this to hustle culture <laughs> they're like well say what <laughs> it's like bring out your treat you know you know all the you need stuff. to make seven instagram posts every day you're not working hard enough it's like <laughs> there you go it's like yes that's what i need to be better at work okay but uh one thing i wanted to ask you about before we close mm-hmm. Before we got on the mic, we were having an interesting conversation about books that I wanted to revisit for the sake of the podcast because it's something uh, I think we both have strong feelings about. But, you know, we, we talked about the journey of 
hey, we discovered this cool thing, productivity or marketing or leadership or whatever, right? And say, oh, this is cool. I've never heard these concepts talked about in this way. Hey, we need to put an Islamic label on it. And then come back and it's like, oh, actually, some of the stuff that I was reading that I thought was so (laughs) mind-blowing is actually garbage. And it's actually not practical. And it's actually unrealistic. And it's... uh, you know, a book as a business card or a book that wasn't really meant to be actually helpful or anything like that. What's been your, you know, what what's changed your perspectives? Mm-hmm. What's your approach with, with reading and developing? Because, I, and the reason that I want to talk about this is, you know, a lot of this stuff gets this thrown under this label of like self-help or self-development, yeah. which I don't, particularly like that or even agree with it in a sense i think a lot of it is more self-education uh and i think it's more professional development in the sense that there are specific skills you should be working on Mm -hmm. so time management is a skill Mm -hmm. communication is a skill you know these types of things but what what's been your journey in the sense of what became mind-blowing and then now you're just (laughs) cringe at the thought of it <laughs> yeah so i'm the guy who was like a gtd fan and you know all that productivity stuff and i mean i read gtd and i went and bought a ream of, of white like 500 <laughs> sheets of white paper could you this is by the way for everyone who's like bought paper like, this is before evernote existed uh, but i did it for a week and then i was like okay i, I don't understand this it's not work. yeah i mean that's the thing. I mean, again, one for, thing, and for those wondering, GTD is getting things done by David Allen. Allen. Yeah, um, there's some great books out there. I mean, and I have to commend all the authors and thinkers of actually putting pen to paper because writing a book is not easy, right? We, it's easy to sit down and criticize books and say, "Oh, they're not." That. It's still a lifetime of insights in a sense exactly. that this person has accumulated they're, they're and tried to convey. Exactly. The challenge for us, and I think this is where this is where you know, hopefully we, we try and do this in, in in our upcoming in our academy. Is the idea of there's a worldview that is associated with every, every author comes with their own worldview. Every author sees the world from perspective, right? And so they're trying to explain life through their worldview. And as Muslims, we also have a worldview. A worldview that is that is basically you know dictated to us by the Quran and the Sunnah and the in the saying the Prophet and, and the Sirah. And the, sometimes the challenge for us is trying to consume the Can I can I quickly summarize this yeah. as a revelation-based worldview versus an observational-based worldview, yeah. which sometimes will be in harmony and yes. sometimes will be at conflict. Excellent. That's the excellent way of putting it. So imagine so you approach life with a revelation-based worldview, tongue twister there, and reading the books, so you almost have to be conscious, like, is this in line? Or not. That's the one. Yeah. And it's not about saying haram halal. No, no, it's not. Like, no, it's not. Like, oh, I should be careful. No, no. It's just being. And it's, it's almost never har- haram exactly. and halal. Exactly. It's almost always more on just the fuzzy edges of like, how are we supposed to think about this topic? Exactly. Exactly. So, so for example, like getting things done. Okay. Well, getting I can get things done. That's awesome. I, I don't know if I can get things done. I love that guy. David Allen. You know, he's yeah. you know, when I was starting off, that was my hero. You know, it's you. You. Ha- I mean. T- you have to go through it, through it exactly to yeah. get to the other side. Yeah, and, and it's almost like, but it's almost like, well, how does getting things done help me in terms of living a baraka lifestyle? Some things do help. I still use some of his style, some of his tools, right? Some things that are still stick with me. There's some insights that will stick, yeah, but not the whole system, not the whole maybe. System. So I think our challenge is to have, you know, I think this, this is what we're working on together in, in the in the baraka Academy book club. It's called this faith-based critical thinking. So it's not enough to be critical thinkers. It's about saying, well, no, let's look at it from, let's be critical thinkers and really filter things from a faith perspective and start asking and ch- asking questions, challenging, saying, well, what about this? What about that? For example, you've read lots of leadership books. Some leadership books fly in the face of the seerah, right? And some leadership books are in lines. And the question is, how do you sift through that? And how do you develop the, the skill? Right, the skill yeah. of reading books through that mindset. And now... Well, and, and we're talking about critical thinking. Yeah. And I should say that that, it doesn't even, it's not even just the revelation mm-hmm. aspect. So if we if we take leadership, so yeah, there's some things that you read and you're like, oh, this, you could plug and play with the Sira, yeah. right? Like this is a great framework for explaining some things that happen in the Sira. It fits, it meshes really well. Yes. Some things they'll tell you, certain things you're like, this goes completely against prophetic character. So I know to filter that out. Yeah. But then there's a lot of stuff 
that when you apply the critical thinking lens mm. of it doesn't even fit observational reality. Mm. And for me, that wake up calls, I took a one day seminar mm-hmm. uh, on John Maxwell book called The Five Levels of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And so they went through, you know, whatever his five levels are, et cetera. And, and toward the end of the day in the Q&A, someone was saying like, okay, well, this is great. What do I do about my manager who's stuck on these bad leadership habits? Mm-hmm. And then he made a joke. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So he asked that. And the instructor goes, well, you know, have your manager come take the class. Like as the, you know, the lame, <laughs> the typical lame corporate joke to plug the program. Yeah. But then the guy asking the question goes, well, actually, she took this course. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And so, and when that happened, that to me was a wake up call of like, oh, so this is not, mm-hmm. because initially you think like, oh, if everyone just learned this, mm-hmm. it would all be better. And it's like, no, actually, people do learn it. Yes. But there's something missing in either an application or the theory being taught is incorrect. Or, and a lot of people don't think about that part of it. Or even the, the, the drive or the intention, right? Because yeah. you can, you can, for example, there's a lot of great books about, for example, about generosity and mindfulness and thank, being grateful. But Gratitude it, journal. Exactly. But you need, a, you need a, almost like an, an operating system in your brain that tells you to plug into these concepts and draw from them. If, if someone, if I'm achieve life from a worldview where, hey, it's a scarcity worldview where resource limited, I gotta show off for, I gotta take out, you know, winner takes all, then I don't care about your gratefulness, meditation, mindfulness, you know, being nice and you know have sabar and live life of tawakkul, right? That just doesn't sit with me at it all. It doesn't fit my worldview. Even, I'm just trying to exactly keep increasing even, my stock value. Even if the mainstream books come with them amazing theories and concepts and results and showing, oh look, these are these are the, we observe these people do these things and this is what happened to them. There is an element of that intention, the element of the need, the element of like you having an operating system in your brain to drive it. And the classic example, Sahaba. Think of the Sahaba, the classic example, because before Revelation, after Revelation. Before Revelation, they were, if you think about it, like, these were nomads, they were killing each other, they were performing stuff which were like, you know, heinous, right? Right. Now, you can imagine attending, going to that crowd and trying to, trying to give them some, oh, by the way, you should be nice to your neighbor. And you should be more empathetic. You should be more empathetic, <laughs> right? I mean, shoot, who cares? And the revelation comes and changes the person from the core. What did your ancestors do that upset them? <laughs> Look at it from their point That's of view. Exactly. <laughs> right? And then revelation comes and changes people's core humanity. And these people become these amazing, adopt all this stuff and run with it without even, you know, and have impact. And I think this is where, yes, observation can take us up to a certain level. Maybe. Yeah. If it's true, if it's correct, if it's, uh, assuming the theory is solid. If observation is true, yeah. it brings you to what revelation has already told you. Yes. And, 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 but the revelation will help you with the getting, you know, going forward and actually implementing and taking it forward. The revelation will give the, where it mixes, the revelation obviously gives you the foundation, right? And the drive. Yeah. The drive. Like, why would you go out of your way, right, to, to example, like, you know, have you know some some things okay okay I'm nice and like I said when the stakes are high I love this question who are you on a bad day yeah right like who are you on a bad day like revelation comes and helps you there if you're if you're not grounded if in not grounded, revelation then you will give in to the other you'll give to the your your impulses given to you the societal pressure given to your own ego your nafs right so sometimes revelation comes and and I feel like this is where the, again they're talking about the value of faith of our religion it's We've under we've I mean it's 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 a it's a whole field that needs to be just explored, researched, discussed, and I, and honestly, it's it's exciting. It's just exciting being at this crossroad where you we've gone and both of us have been on this journey where we've read a lot, and we all come like wait a second, it's not just it's making sense or not, but wait a second, there's 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 a whole world here that we haven't even touched, and I think we need to add yeah. value and talk about it kind of thing. So you you mentioned now in passing a couple of times the book club, and people might be wondering so. Can you let us know what's up with the, here's the plug part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, mutual plug, though, because we're both involved in this project. Yeah. But uh, talk about, first talk about the Productive Muslim Academy. Yeah. So people understand what the, huh? oh, Baraka Academy, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is how involved I am. I don't know what it's called. All right. So the, tell us about the Baraka Academy yeah. project yeah. Uh, first, and then let us know about the, the book club portion of it yeah I'm so yeah so I, th- I think like I said like things have been this journey where we realized that 
we've made now our vision at Baraka Muslim to say we want to spread this Baraka culture. Like that's that's our thing now. We want to really go all out on Baraka culture and and produce courses and coaches and trainers and books and trying to really understand what is the Baraka culture, how can we codify it and really share with the world and make it make it practical. So one of our first um, sort of really just platforms and honestly see more of a community of professionals who would say, I want to live this Baraka culture. And yes, there are courses. Yes, there. Are, you know, we have the usual stuff, the courses and calls, stuff like that. But I'm hoping that one of the really critical pieces, and this way, you know, Omar comes in and really is helping us with, is actually having a book club. But this is not just all right. Let's all read a book for a month and then let's talk yeah. about it and hold hands and you know sing kumbaya. No, this is where, and the way Omar structured, it, which I loved, is basically saying we're gonna choose a theme for for a quarter, for three months, and we're gonna basically the first book usually some book that is basically um a mainstream book is popular everyone's reading everyone's well let, let's talk tangible let's go ahead and okay. talk about what's going to be happening the first right. module so the first one is leadership right and it says leadership so the first book will be the you know your 21 laws of leadership 21 laws of leadership so this is where this is the mainstream the stuff that you should be reading everyone is reading about it everyone's excited about it and then the second book is the what called contrarian book which kind of just throws everything which is the leadership bs leadership bs so it completely destroys everything that's <laughs> made not destroy but not destroys but it ta- so it challenges it it talks about why the theoretical concepts yeah. in something like the 21 Laws of Leadership aren't working in reality in a professional environment. Exactly. And this is where you see, and this is where critical thinking is established. And then the third is where we, our angle comes in. We talk about the faith element. So for example, we talk about the prophetic leadership, the leadership of the Prophet Sallam. say, well, how does this plug in into what we discussed so far? And then we have a, and then we have a call after after those three months and we discuss those three books. And and when and what, what the work you're doing is you're actually producing not just in the books, usually you know, resources and curated, you know, curated resources and reading plans to really help you keep up. And what I love about this whole structure is, again, this is I think we need that level of faith-based critical thinking skill that I think will be hopefully developed as we go through themes. We have first theme is leadership, second one thing is about ego. Um, and we don't want to just take these at face value. It's we really want to go deeper and assess like, okay, what's being said? Yeah. Why is it being said? Yeah. Who's the, you know, who's the author? I, and what's the worldview? And I mean, we were... So full disclosure, because I mean, no one listens to this podcast anyway, so we can talk freely. Yeah. But one, we were talking about the book Grit mm-hmm. uh, before this podcast, and this is a book that went viral because of the author's TED talk. And there's a couple of things, right? So my take on the book is that it should have been a blog post. Mm-hmm. I think even the TED talk was too long, because I think whatever everything the book says can probably be summarized in a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, but on the flip side and we've both been coming across articles lately that actually the conclusions aren't complete Mm. because yes there is an element of grit and developing resilience and those are important skills for someone to have but they don't exist in a vacuum and some research that we're finding now is indicating that actually a stronger indicator of resilience is not me being a unicorn and being driven with all this grit but it's Am I in an environment that supports and enables resiliency, right? And, you know, there's other variables at play. And so we want to go take something like that where we might not necessarily agree with the book itself Mm -hmm. or the reason that maybe it's a bestseller, but we might still want to look at it to see what are lessons that we draw. But then let's also look at it critically to see what's not talked about there. Exactly. And then we add a faith element to our right? Okay, let's talk about, so you saw grit mainstream, grit why perhaps it is not complete. Well, what? How, how does the concept? Of what What does the complete perfection exactly. of suburb look like? Boom. And yeah. that's encapsulated for us, exactly. for example, in the Sirat. Exactly, exactly. And and so it's 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 a it's a way for us to. And I hope it's helped again. Like I hope it's really built a community around this. Our people who are thinking like this, who are trying to explore books like this, and just join this community. And we have a Slack channel going on. We have monthly calls. We have this book club going on. Um, we've made it like as affordable as possible on a monthly basis or annual basis. So I'm looking forward to people to, to start joining and just be part of this. And let's let's really spread Baraka culture together. Let's make it a reality, inshallah. Inshallah. And if you want to sign up, I'll have a link in the show notes for the episode. Uh, what website should they go to? to I'll, just, I'll put all that in yeah, there. Okay. Pretty easy, pretty easy. All right. Anywhere you want people to follow you on social media because I know you oh, post a man. whole lot on there, right? <laughs> just Baraka Muslim. That's all. It's all Baraka Muslim. Or if my personal is Muhammad A. Faris. Inshallah. All right. So I'll link that up. All right. Sakalakhir. Sakalakhir.